they began warmer, and fortunately, like the blood took them out too. That's all right. That's all right. I'll take it. I'll take it more weather. But um, uh, closing out our series on faith, and uh, Pastor Alex, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak today. Um, it's not easy to speak about faith. I think because when it comes to faith, there's disappointments that go along with it. You never pray that you pray, it doesn't get answered. And so a lot of times I feel like faith sometimes can go into a super emotional uh, track where it's like if you just have more of this, do more of that, then like this will happen. And then sometimes it's, uh, you go the other direction where you get your hopes up and sometimes they don't, your expectations don't meet your hopes or those prayers. And so it's like you never want to have any kind of faith because you're just so used to being disappointed. And this series has been encouraging to me because I think God works the this in the middle. You know, I don't think faith is something about having an amount. I think faith is just something that even just a little bit is enough with God. You know, even in our doubts, there's a little bit. You know, so I just want to encourage you today that wherever you are on that faith scale, whatever that you've been believing for during the series or whatever it is, whatever season you're in, God's faithful. And his timetable is different than ours. And God can even work in the midst of our failures and our struggles and our doubts. And uh, the title of today's message is Faith Like Failure. How the light of Moses shows that faith is not just faith in God, but that God has also faith in us. Faith when we get it right, faith when we get it wrong, God is with us through it all. And so today we're going to be going through uh, some highlights of the life of Moses, and there is a lot. And so I'm going to put my like teacher hat on, so this is more of like a teacher sermon than a preacher sermon. But I feel like there's events in his life that are big and small that we can really um, look to and be inspired by and take it to our own lives. And so I just want to give uh, a glimpse of what Moses uh, was Moses mentioned in the book of Hebrews. We've been talking about the heroes of faith in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. It says this about Moses. It was by faith that Moses, and I love that, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of the king of Egypt's daughter, refused to be a prince. He chose to suffer with God's people instead of enjoying sin for a short time. He thought it was better to suffer for Christ than have all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking for God's reward. Man, isn't that attention? You know, the reward we can see, or the rewards for things that we can't see. It was by faith that Moses left Egypt and was not afraid of the king's anger. This is my favorite line in this section. Moses continued strong as if he can see the God that no one else can see. I want to encourage you, maybe you're going through those seasons where it doesn't look like it makes sense, and people can say, give up. Don't keep going. But I want to encourage you, maybe this verse encourages me. Um, Moses continues strong so he can see the God that no one else can see. Just because you don't see it, just because people don't encourage it, doesn't mean that God can't make it happen. So I want to take a look at Moses, give some background about his life. Because I think when we think of Moses, we have that Charles Heston like, picture in our minds. He's old and he's got this great booming voice like Moses. That people go, you know, he's got like that large one like mentality. But Moses was flawed, he was human, and he didn't have a great voice. Actually, his voice was his biggest insecurity. Um, but Moses was born a Hebrew and adopted and raised by Egyptians because at that time of his birth, there was a decree by Pharaoh to kill 
that time. And so here's Moses, this man out of time. Uh, his, his mother sent him down the, down the Nile, hoping that he can be uh, saved by the Egyptian, and he was. Um, and here's some of the strengths of, Egypt, of, uh, of Moses. Because of, of him being adopted and raised Egyptian, he had the best education. And later on in his life, he went from like having like that formal education to having like a wilderness education by his father-in-law Jethro. So he had the, both, the best of both worlds. He was a great Jewish leader. He set the Exodus in motion, liberating God's oppressed people. And Moses was a futurist. He was always looking for what was the next thing, um, what was going to happen next. He was a lawgiver. He was a quarter of the Ten Commandments. And he was the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Before that time, the Bible was world tradition. And how interesting was it that God would use someone like Moses to record uh, the first five books of the Bible. But as great as he was and the great accomplishments that he, that he had, he had some weaknesses. He made some mistakes. Um, when he got the call to liberate God's people, uh, he chose to try and liberate them from violence and force instead of virtue and faith. He actually killed an Egyptian who was oppressing one of his fellow people, and he killed him. And then he fled. Um, we don't think about that very often. Um, Moses was murdered. By, by, by those standards, he was disqualified to be this type of person to uh, liberate Israel. And Moses didn't always recognize and use the help and talents of others. He didn't like to ask for help. I can relate to that because I have to do things on my own. I was never the type of person who would ask for help. I always had to like, learn the hard way. But I, as I've grown older, Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign that you don't know what you're doing. A lot of times it's a sign that you know a lot. Saying I don't know is smart. It's okay to say we don't know sometimes. And I think we live in a culture where we always have to add an answer. We've got to Google it real quick. Um, but sometimes it's just asking for help, bringing that other perspective in. You know, as a teacher, um, I can see when my students try to like fake an answer. You know, they kind of like meander and go around the world and and I, I sound like they don't know. Like, they don't know. And they're trying to sound like real smart and kind of they go around the world and they're raising the answer. And I can tell them, like, I'd rather you say you don't know than pretend like you do. Because when you pretend like you do, I can't help you. Um, I don't help you. It's okay. Uh, lessons from his life. God prepares and then uses. And his timetable is life-sized. The accomplishments that Moses had were in his like mid-life 40s and 80s. You know, he wasn't like um, on like Forbes like top like like 30, you know, 30 under 30. You know, like in our culture, we think like you have to have like, you know, your dream job in your 20s. You should be like going up the like ladder in, in like your 30s and you should be like just like cruising in your 40s and, and we have these like these, these mile markers in our mind, you know, where it's like by this you should have this and but that's how you should have that. And it can, it can go through work, it can go by family, but God's timetable is different. God doesn't go by our, our mile markers. Um, God's timetable is life-sized. So wherever you are on that, you think you should be, maybe you're exactly where God wants you to be. God does His greatest work through people's availability, not just your ability. You know, our talents, our strengths, our degrees, all those kinds of things, they're nice, but God just wants you to be open. God wants you to be available. 
You know, and I think in the midst of like trusting and, and, and having faith in God, I think one of our biggest struggles is sometimes when life doesn't work out the way we want, when life isn't fair, how can you have faith in the midst when life isn't fair? You know, if you do A and B, you should get C. You shouldn't get X, Y, Z. You know, a lot of times it's like, well, I did this, I did that, and then God should bless it, and then blah, blah, this should happen. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And in the midst of life not being fair, it can really allow us to have patterns in our life. It can allow us to have a, uh, a mentality where our fears and insecurities can get the best of us. And so we're no longer living out of faith and trust in God, but we're letting our fears and insecurities run rampant because that's something I can feel. That's something I can, I can, I can taste. I can, I, I, it, it's tangible. You know? And sometimes those fears and insecurities become comfort, become a shield. And sometimes it can prevent what God wants us to do. And in the midst of that fear and insecurity, I think God can use us. Or if he used to do something that can destroy us. And it is hard because we all have insecurities and we all have fears, but again, what are we doing? Are we going to hold on to those fears and insecurities where it just become worse and worse and worse? Or can we give it to God and let God take those fears and insecurities and we can trust Him for His timetable? Because we see as the story continues, that insecurity and fear on a national level with Pharaoh becomes a destructive power. And that fear and insecurity on the Hebrew side, because something that allows them to be controlled and manipulated. Fear and insecurity is a dangerous thing, but I think God wants us to just give that to Him, and it's a struggle. Let's take a look to see how the Hebrews got there, because at this time, there was a time when the Hebrews and the Egyptians, they were together. At the time of Joseph, they were, these were two countries that partnered together, but over time, things changed. That insecurity and fear brought a wedge between these two countries. It talks about this in Exodus. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were extremely fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, became so numerous that the land was filled with them. This was awesome. This is great. Hey, this is good times. But the king to whom Joseph, but then a new king, a new king came. And that, and that verse is so timely for today. You know, we know in America we don't deal with kings, but we deal with new bosses. We, we deal with new jobs, new people in authority, and a lot of times that, that can cause a lot of tension. Then a new king came, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt, and look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal with them shrewdly. And this word shrewdly in Hebrew, kakam, means to wisely oppress. With them, and they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with force and labor. To wisely oppress. And Israel had a choice. And when this time happened, in that time of oppression, you can let what those in power say who you are, or you can let God say who you are. And during this time, Israelites, their life became bricks. Take a look at this. Pyramids are made up of 2.3 million bricks. That's a lot of bricks. Bricks that weigh 2.3 metric tons. 2.3 metric tons, that brick is like the size of 2.5 refrigerators. 
Alright, so you kind of perspective. When I hear this, like, oh, they make bricks. We think of bricks like small, like little like bricks that we have in our American house that are small. These bricks are huge. When we look at the size of those bricks, it looks like the size of like a family can fit into one of those bricks. And for 400 years, that's who their value was. That's who that's what their value was placed in. Bricks, you were a number. Your value, your worth was in how many bricks you can produce. And thousands of years later, I think one of the most dangerous things about America is not so much the government, it's not so much like conspiracy theories or this or that or COVID or vaccines. I think one of the biggest things that is a danger to America is work. Where we want to work our lives so that our life is bricks, paychecks, and status. Where your work is in what you do, not in who God says that you are. And it can be a dangerous, dangerous thing because in that in that rat race we're trying to chase like paychecks and bricks and have our value placed in that, we become a number. And to God, you're not a number, you're a need. And I think so much in our own culture, in our own life, we like, oh, that's cute, that's great, you know, God knows my name. But we want the paychecks, we want the status, we're taught in conditions to be like that, but God never wanted us to be like that. And in the same day, Eric gave this order to the slave drivers, and made it worse. You are no longer supply people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota, for they are lazy, and that is why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice for God, make the work harder, so the people will keep working, pay no attention to the lies. Man, how often is, what, what a trick is that? Man, if, 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 if Daniel could just make us busy, we could become blind. What's going on? And I, I want to encourage you, don't get wrapped up in the numbers. Don't measure your life by metrics and by things like that. You are so much more than bricks, paychecks, and statuses. You are valuable. And uh, I think so often we can get caught up in that. And in the midst of this, there, in the midst of, of, of this story, there's this oppressed people and there's this oppressive government. And then one of the ways that God was able to break free uh, the Israelites through this was through plagues. And isn't that kind of like an odd thing to think about? How would God use plagues to liberate? The Israelites. I mean, couldn't God just be like, all right, you know what? We're going to liberate the Israelites. We'll just, you know, we'll just strike them. The king they believe. Why? What is the deal with these plagues? Well, these plagues are, are pretty significant because they're connected to the Egyptian culture. Uh, the Pharaoh says this in Exodus 5 2. Who's the Lord that I should go? Uh, who's the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And I think these plagues had two purposes. One, to show that the Israelites that to show the Israelites that God of their fathers was alive and worthy of their worship. And two, to show the Egyptians that their gods were nothing. This is the interesting thing about these plagues. Each of the ten plagues directly correlates with an Egyptian god. And these plagues these gods, I almost feel like during this time, this was a way for God to deprogram all the wrong thinking, all the wrong ways 
that got into the Hebrew culture, where they started to believe these things, these truths, and it was so opposite to what God wanted for them. So let's break down these gods real quick to see how these plagues connected to these gods. Um, the Egyptians were also able to turn water into blood, including the death of the fish and the smell that was breathing and trying to drink water. Pharaoh's uh, heart remained hard. So the first plague was, was blood, and that tied to the god of Canu, who was the source and the guardian of the river. So that first plague connected to that god. The second plague, uh, the Egyptians also were able to, were able to produce frogs. Um, piles of dead frogs filled the land without order. Yo, if you ever like let that like your, your refrigerator go too long and you can't find that one thing that's like making your refrigerator like super stinky, can you imagine like everywhere you go there's a super stinky foul smell? And there's nothing worse than like bad animal foul food smell. It's like, whoo, next level. Next was the Egyptian goddess with the heaven problem. And then there's gnats. Gnats and mice that came up from the dusty deers. And the Egyptian priests could not duplicate this miracle. They declared, this is the finger of God. Geb was the god over the dust of the earth. So here, plague three, the Egyptian magicians, they're like, all right, we tap out. We're done. All right, go. Pharaoh, let, let these people go. You, you can't keep up. Pharaoh still remained hard. The next plague was flies. Now, this was the first plague that affected only the Egyptians. Kepri was the head of the beetle, also moved the sun. So the god Kepri had, had the head of the beetle. Not like the shaggy hair. Oh, <laughs> Alright. Plague five was the sick cow and God continued to sing between Israel and Egyptians. So these plagues are only affecting the Egyptians. And Hathor was the fertility goddess, often depicted with the head of horns and a bull. And let's keep going. There's the plague of boils. This is the first plague that affected the body now. And Isis was the goddess of health, and Imhotep was the god of healing. So you think of these things like, why, like, what is going on here? Do you think being oppressed, seeing that your God can seem powerless, when you're sick, who are you going to pray to? The God that you can see, or the God that you can't see? And so the Israelites were losing their identity, losing their culture, losing this belief in God. Then hail came, like said, the plague affected agriculture and livestock that was left in the field. Um, such a storm of hell was unique to Egypt, and none was the goddess of the sky. None. I love that. Um, so, here we see God attack, attacking their economy. So, God is a God of justice. And the next plague is the plague of locusts. And so, when you see these things of like, plague, like locusts, flies, flies, could like anything like this happen today? Like, are these just fairy tale stories? Check out what happened in Africa last year. There was a massive plague of locusts. This is actual footage last year in Africa. This is like, for real, this isn't like, are you bugging out right now? You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, I can't go, I hate bugs. Bugs freak me out. I see like a little ant and I'm like spraying everything. <laughs> like these are real places. It's a little washed out, but like all those little things you see, those are bugs flying around. These are actual places in Africa. Look at that. That's all bugs. That's all locusts. Covering things. 
This is this is disgusting. There's one more. So this one's massive, and they leave a trail of destruction. I think it says um, how quickly they can damage. And the next one, they keep going. They're gonna say oh, how much they can damage. The worst attack in 27 years. Here we go. Locusts can destroy acres of a crop in just an hour. I mean, just look at those things. Imagine like open up your windows and there's like all these bugs flying in. And it's just unbelievable. And I think there's one more. Here we go. This is almost over. But look, look at that. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, are you like, Whew. Like we told generations, like the locusts, and never in, in the creed where the God of God of green. The plague of darkness, number nine, was so dark that darkness could be felt. And dark and like, oh my gosh. And Ra was the God of the sun. It was a massive, massive God in the Egyptian culture. And the final plague, which established the Jewish festival of the Passover death of the firstborn. As we were talking earlier, when the year Moses was born, Egypt decried, uh, uh, gave the decree to eliminate all the boys that year. Moses survived. And this was like almost like a form of judgment. But God in his judgment provided mercy. All they had to do was put the blood over the door frames. And they and their family would be saved. It was like a foreshadowing of Jesus. How Jesus' blood is able to save us. And even God's mercy even God's judgment, he gives mercy. And all these plagues would display God's power, God's protection, and God's plan. And almost to deprogram the Hebrews of these gods that they started to believe in, that they started to take hold of, that can derail them and did derail them from the life that God wanted for them. And in this story, we see that like God's, that, that Pharaoh's heart would get hard. One of the things I never understood was like, why? Why couldn't God just like do like one plague or just do half the plagues? Like why did Pharaoh get Pharaoh's heart get hard? I always say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I think Pharaoh's heart is like this. It's like clay. This is a drawing that I did for my students. And so um, sometimes I like to draw. And so the same sun that can melt wax can harden clay. And it wasn't so much that like God Hardened Pharaoh's heart to cause more chaos and cause more damage and, and just and, and just cause all these calamities. Our hearts are soft. And it's like a cookie that's put into the oven. It can at the right temperature at the right time it becomes something moist, something good, ooey gooey, you get all those good cookie smells. But if you leave them in too long, they get harder and inevitable. I remember one time I was cooking, I was making cookies and I left them in there too long because I kept waiting for them to like look right and I was going by how they looked and then I took them out. Those things were hard to break your teeth on. And it, it, it's interesting. It's like Pharaoh became hard because he refused to yield. And God, and it's almost like he became what he made it. The same sun that can melt wax 
to make clay. What was he forcing the U.S. to, to do? Make bricks. What was it that Pharaoh's became? A brick himself. That unforgiveness. You know, and that, that's the tension with faith sometimes, is that our disappointments and our own struggles, if we don't give those struggles to God and those insecurities to God and that fear to God, it can harden us. It can almost become callous, become cynical, and become something that we are never intended to be. You know, God wants us to be soft, pilot, able to be useful. God doesn't see you as a brick. God doesn't see you as a number. But God doesn't want you to become hard. And when it comes to faith, it's so easy to become hard. Exodus 15 says this, Who among you, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like your majesty and holy, your majestic and holiness, awesome and glory, working wonders? You know, God doesn't just work wonders then. God can work wonders now. And I don't want you to get discouraged and, 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 and um, stop when you become hard. Stay soft. And so let's take a look at some, like, continue with uh, Moses' journey. Because it's amazing how God works in the midst of natural occurrences. I think science and faith can come together. You know, after uh, Moses was able to liberate the people, and they crossed the sea that was dry, that was an amazing miracle, and split the waters. Like, was that just something that just happened? Was that just kind of like flowing? Could something like this actually happen today? It can. There's actually a scientific term called fluid dynamics. Dr. Carl News had an article in the Washington Post that, that the wind can actually cause the sea or a river to split. Um, where, it's the, where winds can hit 63 degrees and it can actually cause waters to split right here. You Google fluid dynamics, you'll see all this research. And I think sometimes in, when it comes to like faith and vegan, I think God wants to use people. I think sometimes God can use science. I think sometimes God can use things that we see. I think sometimes you just want God to be like, poof, make it happen. Or no, I think, you know, God wants things in our life that can be a benefit to us. And I think it's so cool that there's actually a scientific term for how God split the seas, that the seas are still being split today. It wasn't just a one-time thing. Miracles back then were not just one-time things. Miracles can happen today. And that, that Red Sea party foreshadows Christ's redemption. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 says this, Makes a connection between Exodus from Egypt and salvation in Christ. Paul says, We're all baptized into Moses. Just as Israelites are baptized into Moses, so too are Christians baptized into Christ. May our hearts be open to what God wants to do. You know, what seas are in your life that need to be split? You know, that, that those seas that happened, that was God's timing. You know, and so sometimes. You know, if they came at it earlier, wouldn't be able to have a hit at the right point, at the right time, when the, when the Egyptian army was coming, and they were at the Red Sea, God in God's time, he was able to split it, and they were able to walk through. Listen, sometimes you see those armies coming, and you're in the middle, and you're like, God, we want you to do this now. Listen, he's going to do it at his time, at the right time, and you're going to walk right through. God is still splitting seas today. God's still doing miracles today. So, why do we go through a wilderness of doubt? Even when God has been faithful. So again, we're coming to a close here pretty soon. So we've seen God do these amazing miracles. 
break down this huge Egyptian empire, 400 years of oppression, going through the Red Sea, finally being free, and yet they were going through this season where they were going to the promised land, where there was tons of doubt, tons of confusion. Do you know how long the trip should have been for the Israelites to get to the promised land? They spent 40 years in the wilderness, but 250 miles can be reached in 11 days. Deuteronomy 1 says this, it takes 11 days to get from Horeb to Kadesh, Barnean, by the Mount Seir Road. So, do some math here. The journey from the wilderness should have been 11 days, 250 miles. That's like here in Philadelphia. I mean, here in Philadelphia. It's like from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. All right, kind of put it in perspective. All right? That's how long this journey should have been in the wilderness. But it took them 40 years. And so, 11 days and 250 miles, doing some math and algebra. That's 331,818 miles. That's more miles from the earth to the moon. That's mind-boggling to me. And you know what I think? Sometimes we go through these wilderness experiences where it can just be like a short line, A to B, get right through it. Why all this wilderness? I think because God didn't want to just liberate them physically, I think he wanted their hearts to be free. And sometimes it takes a longer time for God to get a hold of your heart than for God to just take you out of a certain place. You can be free, but is your heart really free? You can be free from a toxic relationship, but are you callous? You can be free from a really like rough job and get a new job, but are you still triggered by certain things? You know, we have these certain mindsets and mentalities where like, we may be in a different place, maybe in a different location, but our hearts can still be there. But God wants all of you, not just part of you. I like what Martin Feinberg says in her book, The Sacred Echo, where it's like God's like an echo that keeps speaking to us. She says, like an echo, God often uses the redemptive events and themes in daily life get my attention and to draw me closer to himself. Maybe there's much wandering around in the wilderness because God may have gotten out of Egypt, but maybe their hearts weren't. And maybe God wants to keep reminding you and keep showing up so that he can really have all of you. You know, we can be in church, but our minds can be totally somewhere else. What parts of your life are you kind of holding on to where, like, God doesn't have access to? What events, what mindsets, what patterns, what ruts do we keep do we keep finding ourselves in? Do we just keep going around, going around, where God wants to break the cycle? Maybe some of us are still in that wilderness. And you know what? God's patient with us, even when we're in a wilderness. And God will get you through. I'll talk about this last part. So one of the biggest parts we think about Moses is the Ten Commandments, right? And the interesting thing about the Ten Commandments is that we think we're like these gray slabs. You know that the, the Ten Commandments are actually blue? Exodus 24 says this, And they saw God of Israel, and there under his feet it was paid work of sapphire stone, and it was, it was the body of heaven and its clearness. There were, there were, there were ten commandments on two slabs, 
not a five one two slabs. You know, we kind of think of it like that, right? Part A, part B. But it was ten on two slabs because it was one contract, two copies. This was God's way of saying, like, hey, I redeemed you, I brought you out of this. Here's a way to live. Here's what I want you, what I want you to be, where I want you to live out. And 87 times in the Bible, God mentions the God who brought Israel out of Egypt. He wanted it to be to remind him who he was, what his character was like. He didn't want to just liberate them. He wanted us to live like him. And these commandments are a contract. It's a way to say, all right, God, I'm going to hold on to this life as a Christian. This is the way I'm supposed to live my life. And it's interesting. How interesting is it that it would be blue? Like, I think blue connects Moses to like his whole life. Moses coming out of the water. Every time you would see these ten commandments, it would be a reminder that God wastes nothing. Even this part of his life that came to seem tragic and divided. Was he Egyptian? Was he Egyptian? Was he Hebrew? Yes, he's both. And his identity is in God, and God wasted nothing. Um, first, if you can come. I just think it's so interesting that God can use little things, these little echoes, to remind us of his nature, of his character. You know, those moments when like, you just have a thought, you hear a song, you see something in a TV show. It's awesome that, like, God can speak to Pastor Alex through, like, WandaVision. You know, this, like, brand new TV show, and there's these, like, truths that just connect to him. You know, for us, you know, it can be different things. For Alex, it was a WandaVision show. For you, it could be, like, a song. It could be a poem. It could be something in a book, a TV show. Like, God is constantly wanting your attention. And we can continue to just wander in the wilderness and be lost and confused and be stubborn and say, I want to know. Thank you. 
Thank you.